0: There's a mismatch between our evolutionary design, how we've been designed by millions of years of evolution, and the modern environment that we are now living in and the modern lifestyle that we now have.
1: Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Has chronic fatigue or burnout or even adrenal fatigue become a mainstay in your life? So much so that you simply have become accustomed to feeling tired. Now, maybe it's not all the time, But you know what it feels like to be tired and depleted, wondering how you're going to get from one task to the other, or how you're going to manage home life when you barely got through the workday. Now I spent years in burnout with no real solution because I was constantly getting the runaround from doctor after doctor. So I know that struggle all too well, and I know what it feels like to wonder if I would ever feel any different again. Now, probably one of my biggest missions is to help people restore their energy levels because having energy and resilience changes. Everything it changes how you show up, how you go to work, how you navigate relationships, how you even make healthy choices. And I just want to give an example that I was living in yesterday evening. I ended up working most of the day, all the way up until 9 p.m. It was just one of those days, and I remember coming downstairs. The baby was asleep. Alex was watching a playoff game, and I was like, "I am so tired. I just need to go to bed." And as I'm having this conversation with Alex, all of a sudden. I start to get really grouchy. I start to get like, I start complaining because I see all these things wrong in my house. The kitchen table isn't cleared. I see books and toys all over the floor. I see stuff in the kitchen and the sink that isn't done. Like all of a sudden my house is yelling at me and I just take this exhausted energy and start complaining at Alex. Now not complaining that he hasn't done anything, just more so like the house is yelling at me. But because I was so tired, I was coming from this really kind of, Grouchy, edgy place versus when I've got energy and when I'm, you know, feeling good, it's such a different conversation, right? And so I think about when we come from that place of exhaustion and depletion, man, it is really hard to have great relationships. It's really hard to be amazingly productive. It's really hard to even make good, healthy choices because oftentimes we're grabbing that quick fix to just get us that extra energy to get us through the door. Now because this is such an important issue that many of us are facing, right? Even myself last night. Now, it wasn't burnout or chronic fatigue, but I was tired, right? I had I had definitely overworked myself. And and so I know that many of us are looking for solutions, even if it's for the daily type of situation or this has been a long-standing chronic issue. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring on my go to energy expert to share the number one solution to healing chronic fatigue and specifically where to start. Because it is so hard when you are on the ground crawling from one thing to the next to think about how to even get yourself out of that hole. And that is literally the question I ask Ari Witten today, who is my guest this is the case for so many of us. Like We are in such a state that a full-on protocol, it's just exhausting. So we're going to have a lot of conversation around what we can do to move through burnout, to move through severe chronic fatigue. But he's going to be sharing the biggest levers that I'm telling you, you're going to be a little bit surprised to hear what he recommends as the first step to get you out of that bone crushing fatigue. Now, before I bring Ari on, I I want to take a minute and just sing his praises. Ari Witten is the founder of the Energy Blueprint System, a comprehensive lifestyle and supplement program that has helped more than 2 million people and counting to experience optimal health, better performance, and more energy. He's also the best-selling author of The Ultimate Guide to Red Light Therapy and the host of the popular Energy Blueprint Podcast, which features the world's leading health and natural experts. Now, you can find his podcast programs and supplement formulas on theenergyblueprint.com. And we're going to be talking about his new book today. Let's welcome Ari onto the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my Essentially Whole Magnesium Restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code PODCAST and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Once again, one of my dearest friends, Ari, honey, how are you doing?
0: I am so great. Such a pleasure to see you as always.
1: Mm, And we match. Clearly, we texted (laughs) before we got on this and coordinated our outfits. I love that. How is Costa Rica?
0: It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, rainy season has hit now, so the surf isn't quite as good. The trails are muddy, so this is kind of my cue to to leave for a little while and come back Mm -hmm. when the surf is turned back on.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so glad you're loving it there. And that means you're probably going to come visit me, which makes me I even am. happier. So thank you, Costa Rica, for the rain. <laughs> We're yes. talking about a topic that you and I, you know, we, this has been our, I don't know, I want to, I don't call it obsession, but definitely passion. And, and that is how we can help women and men. My women, really want to know what they can do to get their energy back, what they can do to not feel tired and exhausted and on edge, right? Brain fogged. I know that this has been your life's work for so long. And I know you've got a book coming out that really focuses on food for energy. Um, but what I would love to do before we get into the nuts and bolts, because I know everyone wants to know like, what do I need to eat to get my energy back? I would love to just dive into why we are seeing so many people struggle with low energy or feeling tired all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a big topic. How many hours do you have? <laughs> so the, the, the super, super short version of it is it's the same set of reasons that is driving over 80% of, of the disease burden in Western society, which is there's a mismatch between our evolutionary design, how we've been designed by millions of years of evolution and the modern environment that we are now living in and the modern lifestyle that we now have. So things like nutrition, things like circadian rhythm and sleep disruption, light deficiencies and toxicities, things like exposure to environmental toxicants, poor gut health, blood sugar dysregulation that results from these kinds of things of how the nutrition and how these environmental toxicants and circadian rhythm and psychological stress and chronic sleep deprivation and poor gut health and poor brain health and uh, are, are all tying in inside of our physiology, along with, let's see, what else? Another big one is lack of hormetic stress. So sedentary lifestyles and the sort of, we can talk about hormesis and what that entails, but basically modern lifestyles that are, that are lacking in various kinds of hormetic stressors that used to be the norm. For how humans existed for most of human evolution, resulting in basically a combination of two things. I like to think of fatigue and energy levels as having two fundamental causes. One is what's going on at the environmental and lifestyle level. So this collection of things like nutrition, circadian rhythm, psychological stress, and environmental toxicants, and so on, and how much total body stress load you have from these various kinds of stressors in your life along with what's going on inside of your body inside of your cells and specifically what i mean by that is your mitochondria your cellular energy generators you can either have cells filled with lots of mitochondria that are big strong robust and healthy and pumping out lots of energy or you can have cells filled with weak and fragile and damaged and dysfunctional mitochondria and very few of them because Depending on your lifestyle habits, those mitochondria literally shrink and shrivel and die off as you get older to the extent that the typical 70-year-old living in the United States has about only 25% of the mitochondrial capacity of a 20-year-old. And the key part there is that it's not just a normal byproduct of the aging process. This is not supposed to be happening. And we know that because when we look at 70 year olds who are lifelong exercisers and athletes, they have the same mitochondrial capacity as a young adult. And what what that's telling you is that this is not a function of aging per se, it's a function of the modern lifestyle and lack of hormetic stress, lack of challenging those mitochondria. So the combination, basically to summarize all that, the combination of too high of stress load taxing your body's cellular energy generators, your mitochondria combined with too weak of uh, a cellular engine, too weak of your cells are filled with weak and shriveled mitochondria and too few of them creates a situation of overwhelm where energy demand exceeds energy supply. The result is fatigue, chronic low energy levels.
1: Mm. I want to talk from a place today, because we've, we've had a lot of different conversations around this, is I want to talk from a place of where someone is depleted. Either across the board, hormone levels are just flatlined. We know that there is inherent mitochondrial dysfunction that's happening. And, you know, and it, to a point, the level of, of fatigue and exhaustion, tiredness, maybe not even won't lend to a lot of hormesis. Or at least hardcore hormesis, because yeah. they're just exhausted, right? Like they do a big workout, or or they do fasting, and it just depletes them even more because they don't really have anything to give. I really want to speak to that person today who is thinking to themselves, like they're they're feeling so exhausted that they're almost feeling. Pretty unmotivated because they don't see their way out of it. That level of tiredness and kind of where where we can start if we're there. That that's a lot to rebuild. Like that's a lot to get mitochondria. I guess the question is: Let's say someone is at that level, and I think that there are a third of U.S. adults are there. a minimum. You know, how do they even begin to rebuild robust mitochondria from a place of depletion?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So, honestly, you yes, know we honestly. talk about supp- <laughs> supplements. Are supplements right? Supplements yes, yes. from from the frame that you and I would talk about it are supposed to be supplementary to doing the foundational work of, you know, getting your nutrition in place, getting your lifestyle habits in place. But the truth is, in the situation, in the context that you're describing, supplements are actually a phenomenal place to start. I because agree. There there are supplements that you can use that have been shown, for example, I'll mention a few specific ones that have been shown to dramatically increase energy levels and cut a lot of other symptoms that are commonly co-occur with people with chronic fatigue, like the context you're describing, somebody's flatlined on all those hormone levels. You can also expect them to have low libido, to be depressed, to be anxious, to not sleep very well to have brain fog and irritability and low resilience to stress, right? There there are supplements that literally in the span of one week, for example, in the rhodiola rosea is a great example, uh, has been shown in in adults with chronic stress-related exhaustion to in seven days cut their levels of fatigue in half, cut their level of anxiety in half, cut their level of impaired concentration or brain fog in half with further reductions out at at 30 days. So in seven days, you can dramatically increase your energy levels and brain function and subjective mood and immediately get a win and get some bit of energy bubbling up that then can motivate you to then take a bit of action to maybe take one step towards getting a better nutrition plan in place or to to take one step towards optimizing your sleep and circadian rhythm or one step towards optimizing your gut health or your brain health just one step whatever the next step is for you that it maybe takes a bit more effort you know start with supplements get a quick win get some more energy in your life and then from there it's really easy to to make further improvements and then you can from there start still even with lifestyle habits there's lots of easy things that don't really take hardly any effort but can provide a quick win. So you don't have to commit to hour-long intense workouts seven days a week, right? Why don't you start with two hours before bedtime, put on some blue blocking glasses or or blue and green blocking glasses such that you're not suppressing melatonin anymore. Melatonin, it turns out, is not just, uh, many people think of it as like a sleep supplement or many people know it's a sleep hormone. Well, it turns out it's actually the most potent mitochondrial antioxidant we know of. And it needs your mitochondria, your cellular energy generators need to be getting bathed in this melatonin every night while just being in your home under standard room lighting, um, let alone looking at bright computer screens and TVs and cell phones and that kind of thing suppresses melatonin levels by upwards of 70%. Mm -hmm. You're suppressing massively suppressing levels of this vital mitochondrial hormone that is supposed to be protecting and helping to recharge and rejuvenate your mitochondria every night. Most people are suppressing that hormone by massive amounts every day for years, for decades. So you can start there, start giving your mitochondria the ability to recharge themselves and reboot every night. And that's a wonderful way of doing it. Another way to get a little Look cutting quick, edge. Sorry, honey, this, so
1: besides yeah. the blue, the the blue blockers, could people do you recommend um if someone's really struggling with sleep and and severe chronic exhaustion to supplement with a little bit of melatonin? Is that a recommendation as well or how do you feel about that? Would it would you say the better way is just to block out the blue light?
0: It's a more complex answer. It's sure. unfortunately not a simple answer. So um Here's the reason it's not simple. I happen to be one of a subset of people, as is my father, who are hyper hypersensitive to melatonin supplementation. Mm-hmm. Um for me it causes extreme insomnia and I'll feel terrible the next morning. If I use even a common sort of dosage, you know, like a three milligram dosage, so um, I've experimented heavily with it, and I can do very small dosages. It turns out that our what we conceptualize as small or normal dose is kind of odd, actually, because the true physiological dose that our brain is producing each night is about three hundred micrograms, which is zero point three milligrams which is one tenth of the dosage that's like considered a standard normal dose of melatonin supplements. So it's weird that we've got a 10 times physiological dose as sort of accepted as the norm. And it's also the, the melatonin research is this weird area where there's a huge amount of really impressive research. And you look at that like I did and you go, wow, this is an incredible supplement. I want to start supplementing with melatonin and i did and it made me way worse and it really caused problems for me yet there's other people that can supplement with not only 3 milligrams but 6 or 10 or 20 or i just saw a study the other day in young healthy athletes where they used 100 milligram dosages that's the highest i've ever seen i've seen you know prior to that 60 and 80 and in the context of like treating alzheimer's disease and certain types of cancers mm-hmm. and things like that but I hadn't seen 100 And they say, well, tolerated by most without significant side effects. So the category that I'm in appears to be rare, yet it is a thing. And I've polled my audience and I estimate among people with chronic fatigue, at least because that's my demographic, Mm -hmm. it's at least 10%, if not closer to 20% that seem to be very sensitive to it. The individual proper dose, like some people do 40 milligrams and feel awesome with it. Some people do 20 10, 5, whatever. So I do think it's a useful supplement, particularly for older adults. However, be aware that if you're one of the subset of people like me, you will find that a very small, like a baby dose of it is best. And that if you go higher than that, you might have negative effects. Um, So you just got to experiment, find the proper dose for you. But first optimize your body's own production of melatonin. And there's two really key aspects to that. One is bright light during the day and especially during the morning. And then minimize the exposure to blue light and and ideally green light in the evenings and wear the blue blockers, get um, you know, efflux or twilight or iris on your computers and your phones and these kind of blue light blocking apps. And modify the indoor lighting in your home. Ideally, incandescence and halogens instead of fluorescents and LEDs. Dim lighting in the evening. Candle lighting is also a good idea, as long as your home's not going to catch on fire. And uh, <laughs> that's
1: good. Good to know.
0: Yeah, got to make sure I don't send anybody's home on fire <laughs> <Exactly>. inadvertently. <laughs> and um, and then apart from that, uh, the other thing I want to mention—that's a new, pretty cutting-edge scientific discovery is actually, I would say almost nobody knows this yet. It turns out that melatonin is such an important hormone to mitochondria that it's been now discovered that melatonin is not only produced by the pineal gland in the brain and then pumped into your blood, into your circulation, but it's so important to mitochondria that mitochondria actually evolved the ability, ability millions of years ago, To produce their own melatonin at the cellular level outside of the brain and that melatonin stays inside of the cell it doesn't enter into circulation so it's produced by the mitochondria for the mitochondria and i think that in five or ten years that story is not only going to be known but it's going to be recognized as one of the most important aspects of mitochondrial health and overall health and disease prevention and longevity so I think this is a huge discovery, and here's the other amazing aspect of it. One of the main things that pumps up that source of melatonin is light, light exposure, um, specifically red and near infrared light, which is a subject I've written a book about. So mm-hmm. it was, it, but this is actually such a new discovery; it didn't even make it into my book. I've only discovered, I've only learned this after writing my book. It's fascinating that this form of light actually penetrates. Deep below the skin surface into our cells, directly into our mitochondria, where it's stimulating the, the mitochondria to produce massively more melatonin. You know, this isn't an, yet another reason why getting adequate sun exposure cannot be replaced, why you cannot replace the sun with a vitamin D pill, because we get much, much more from sunlight than just vitamin D. And this is yet another example of that uh of the importance of sunlight and you know any for anybody who can't get adequate sunlight make sure you're doing red and in near infrared light therapy.
1: Mm. I think that those are probably easy wins too, regarding, you know, things that we can do if you're just that level of depleted, getting out and just walking outside in the sun or getting doing red light therapy. I know we've talked about that on other interviews as well. Like these are ways to help bolster up those mitochondria and to help kind of give you that little energy boost. But I I just wanted to speak into I knew melatonin was going to come up as well today. And I wanted to just address the question that so many people have around supplementing with melatonin, but I mean, life's, what, what are other things that we can do that you mentioned that can help boost melatonin naturally if we do need to go in and, and kind of figure out what the right dosage is for us to kind of give ourselves? Like you said, we talked about the kickoff. This call was like, what do you do when you're on the ground, you know, crawling and supplements are always going to be that kickstart that's going to get you through that hardest time. That's going to get you to that next level of like, okay, now that I'm feeling okay enough, I'm functioning kind of enough. What's the next step I can take to get myself to a better place. So I'm so grateful that you went into that about circadian rhythms and what we can do to boost um, melatonin levels as well. Any other thing that you think in terms of a win, I'm supplementing being a big part of this, getting our body back online circadian wise and and getting sunlight, anything else. And then let's get into the sustainable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there, there certainly are. I mean, I could mention many, many other different supplements that also have the same kind of benefits of like massive improvements in energy levels or brain function within a few weeks. So there's more quick wins to discuss with supplementation, but I would say like really optimizing circadian rhythm and sleep is just such a huge one. If you, if you implement some of those things, and and some of them are, are one-time things. For example, modifying the lighting in your home. If you get a few little lamps with an incandescent bulb to just turn off all the Ceiling lighting and the typically fluorescent LED lighting in your home in the evenings and you get in the habit of just switching on some dim incandescent lighting, particularly in any living areas that you spend time in in the evenings and your bedroom and your bathroom connected to your bedroom. Make sure that, that, that it's at the very least dim incandescent or red light in those environments or candlelight. And if you do that, that's, that's stuff that you only have to do once. You've only got to put in the effort to do that once to switch out those bulbs, buy those lamps, whatever you need to do and then you're done. You've got to do this once to get blackout curtains and make your bedroom completely dark at night. And it makes a huge difference because we have research showing that even very small amounts of light that that most people would imagine have no physiological effect whatsoever have been linked with depression, have been linked with fatigue and poor sleep quality. So if you can optimize your sleep as a great place to, to start that can, I, I think in the context you're describing somebody who's just got no energy to do really anything significant as far as changing their routines, make those small one-time changes and they'll pay big dividends over time.
1: Well, and I think once you move to the incandescent lights, the the, the dim lights as well, like you're not going to go back. You yeah. Know, I, I go to family's homes and you know, it's for the holidays and whatnot and lights are on everywhere. And I'm just like, yeah. I can't yeah. do this because um, yeah. it's so dim in our home. Like yeah. after six o'clock, our house is just dimmed down. And you it's, it's just such a great reminder because the only room left that I've got to fix that we haven't, because we just moved into a new house in, in Lucadia is my bathroom. It's the worst lighting in there. So my, I'll be in the living room. I'll be in our bedroom. It's really dark for hours and hours. And then I have to go brush my teeth, wash my face, do those things. And it's this nasty, harsh light. And I'm just like, why is this happening to me right now? And um, I need to let Alex know that we've got to get on top of that stat because it just messes everything up. Every time I go in there, I, I, it's like a reset, but not yeah. a good reset, like a yeah. bad reset. So yeah, it, and I love it. It's a one-time change. And and blackout curtains are just the, a game changer. Yeah. It's such a game changer. So I, it's I love worse
0: that. when you're in an Airbnb and like you turn on the bathroom light and it's got those just like 10 fluorescent lights just boom, you know, blasting you in the face. You know, and it's funny because people who haven't changed their lighting yet just have normalized to that. And they think it's actually bizarre that somebody would be sensitive to it. But once you have a strong circadian rhythm, then you become sensitive to having that disrupted by bright lights blaring into your face when your body's in, it's winding down for sleep, you know, and Mm -hmm. everything's, your physiology shifting into that relaxation, rejuvenation, sleep mode, and then being blasted in the face with bright lights disturbs that. And you can feel the differential.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's an assault to the mm-hmm. system is what it feels like. Like someone's attacking you with light is what mm-hmm. it will. And so I think that if there was something to do, if you wanted a weekend. Weekend activity, you know, go to Home Depot or go wherever you, you go, go, go on Amazon, get the lights, make the switch, get the blackout yeah. curtains, make the switch. We just realized that Kingston's room, our baby's room is not just, it's just not blackout enough. And so we're, we're about to upgrade his blackout curtains. Yeah, you know, we got like the organic linen curtains and they're just not, they're just not cutting it. So yeah. this is another area where we're making those changes as well. So fixing sleep, getting on circadian rhythms, anything you want to also add about circadian rhythm?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, so my new book is, is called Eat for Energy, How to Beat Fatigue, Supercharge Your Mitochondria and Unlock All-Day Energy. And a lot of people write diet books, as you know. Uh, a lot of our colleagues and, and friends write diet books. And a lot of it tends to come from the frame of people trying to claim to have the next big thing right and it, it's it's like everybody's got it wrong it, you know the real way to eat it's not low fat it's not low carb it's not vegan it's not keto it's not paleo it's not mediterranean really it's this other thing and you know they're trying to promote the one true best human diet and you know for everybody listening who's smart who knows some nutrition science who's been around the block for a few years in this area You should know that that stuff is almost always nonsense and just cherry picked and kind of people trying to become the next big thing because there's a lot of money in it. If you become the next big thing successfully, like if you become the next keto or paleo, you can make a whole lot of money. What I'm doing in this book is really not that at all. I'm not claiming this is the one true best way to eat. I'm compiling many, many decades of nutrition science And putting together a whole bunch of flexible nutrition strategies that can be layered with and integrated into basically any dietary pattern that you want, everything from keto to veganism to whatever. A lot of the focus is also on low-hanging fruit and, and quick wins, easy things to implement. So there's a whole chapter on optimizing circadian rhythm that is actually not even about anything that we just talked about, because everything we just talked about is about optimizing the central clock in the brain. Well, we also have peripheral circadian clocks throughout the whole body that while the central clock's prim- primarily responsive to light inputs, these peripheral clocks and all the different organs and tissues of our body, our muscle, our heart, our liver, our um, intestines, our brain, and, you know, everything is actually primarily responsive to nutritional inputs. And the goal of optimizing your circadian rhythms in total is to synchronize the central clock and the peripheral clocks. So in the book, I talk about a whole bunch of nutritional strategies that can be integrated into that. For example, around time restricted eating, about calorie stacking, and a couple other ones that amplify the circadian rhythms and again help synchronize peripheral and central clocks together. So I, I would say there's low hanging fruit there. I'll briefly overview the, the kind of the rest of the book, and then we can dive into any specific topic from there. The second chapter is on body composition. So how do you optimize your body composition in terms of how much fat and how much muscle you have? Over 80% and actually based on some estimates that integrate body composition metrics with blood biomarkers, about 90% of the population is over fat and it's carrying too much body fat. That's a major cause of fatigue. The next chapter, so I have a whole bunch of nutritional strategies for how do you optimize that? And many of them are, are very easy to implement. It doesn't involve going on extreme restrictive diets. The next chapter is all about blood sugar dysregulation. Over 80% of the population is regularly experiencing uh, spikes into the pre-diabetic and diabetic blood sugar ranges. One third of adults experience hypoglycemia, reactive hypoglycemia, two to five hours after eating where they're dipping into low blood sugar. What goes along with that is glycemic variability shifting back and forth between big spikes and dips is a major contributor to fatigue, there's also, you know, very easy strategies that you can implement there that can make a huge difference. The next chapter is on gut health and how to optimize that. That's a major pathway. We know obviously there's a gut brain access, there's a gut mitochondria access. There's lots of important stuff that goes on with our gut health in impacting energy levels. The next chapter is on brain health and then, and how to optimize that. And the sort of the different levers of how the brain works that affect our energy levels. And then part two of the book is superfoods and supplements. And uh, anyway, that's the super fast overview. And I'll let you kind of dive in with, to whichever of those topics you want.
1: Mm, oh, goodness. It feels like I just i am at a buffet. Of, of energy solutions <laughs> so fun you know, talked about that we're holding on to a lot of fat potentially maybe organ fat liver fat we're not utilizing that as an energy source and you're saying that that could be contributing to fatigue did you do you connect that with the interplay with the deregulated sugar as well in the book absolutely, absolutely. so talk to yeah. me a little bit about that that we've got all this reservoir of stored energy that we we're not even tapping into um instead we're on a sugar roller coaster right. Where you're seeing that major dip and crash where, you know, you have, you you drink the Frappuccino at 11 o'clock in the, in the morning, um, liquid sugar, you hit 200 milligrams per deciliter, uh, you know, and then you, and then your body has to respond and you drop down to 55 milligrams, Mm -hmm. you know, in like, in like 30 minutes, you go from (laughs) 200 to 55 like that, And then in your brain has to like rebound from that, sending new messages. So I'd love for you to speak into kind of what were some of your recommendations around that conundrum?
0: Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you teed it up well for me because I found a lot of practitioners, if not most practitioners don't actually know the major cause of insulin resistance that leads to hyperglycemia. Many people will talk about, they'll talk about, you know, carbs and spiking insulin, spiking blood sugar, eating this or that food. They'll talk about, oh, alcohol or, you know, maybe sleep and circadian rhythm disruption, which is a, is a good one, or, you know, other specific toxins or, you know, things like that. The m- most important contributor to blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance becoming pre-diabetic or diabetic is actually fat itself. The accumulation of excess body fat is the primary cause of insulin resistance. To go one step further, there are studies that have shown that by addressing how much fat you have on your body, you can take full-blown type 2 diabetics that have been diabetic for years and mm-hmm. who, are on medica- who have been on medication for years, and you can completely cure, reverse- their type two diabetes within a matter of weeks mm-hmm. simply through fat loss. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's particularly
1: how, organ fat loss. Yes, you know, th- it's got to be that that we've got to get rid of that liver fat. We have got to get rid of that organ fat. But it's fat loss through right. and through.
0: Yes. Yeah. So exceeding your personal th- fat threshold, and everybody has a unique fat threshold. Some people it only takes some. Some people can gain a huge amount of body fat before they will become significantly measurably insulin resistant. Yes. For other people, it only takes a little bit of excess body fat accumulation before they're starting to exceed their personal fat threshold and then becoming insulin resistant and suffering the consequences of that. Fat cells can only hold so much fat, and if you expand that, they'll sort of create uh, signals to grow more fat cells and more fat cells. But if you keep pushing that and pushing it, which modern society and the modern diet does... Those fat cells grow and expand as much as they can. They build as many new fat cells as they can, and they all become leaky, and they don't do their job of soaking up excess nutrients that are floating around in the blood as well anymore because they can't hold anymore. It's like you can only fill a balloon so much before it can't hold anymore and before it pops. So that's what's happening to our fat cells. The consequences of that are, number one, if they're not soaking up excess nutrients very well those excess nutrients having high blood sugar or chronically high triglycerides and so on is directly cytotoxic. It's directly toxic to mitochondria. So just being in a state of of high blood sugar, chronically especially, is literally damaging your cellular energy generators. In addition to that, when they become filled, chronically filled and leaky in this way, they end up chronically secreting inflammatory cytokines. So those inflammatory cytokines are also a signal to mitochondria to turn down the dial on energy production. And in addition, when they're not soaking up nutrients well, they become insulin resistant. They can't soak up the The blood glucose, and so it floats around in the bloodstream, you get hyperglycemia. So anyway, there's multiple mechanisms that are important that are going on there, but this is the major driver of insulin resistance and blood sugar dysregulation. So the most important step for correcting that is, of course, to lose excess body fat. Now, that's a bit of a larger discussion, and it's a bit harder work to dramatically change your body composition. So let me give you kind of in the spirit of our initial context of the person person (laughs) you gave me, like what are some easy things that are extremely low effort that can make a difference? Well, check this out. There's research showing that not even changing what's on your plate, but simply the order in which you eat what's on your plate Mm -hmm. by eating leafy greens, non-starchy vegetables, fibrous vegetables on your plate first in the meal, just that one strategy alone was able to take people from an average hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker of insulin resistance of 8.3 to 6.8, just within a few weeks, just from doing that one super simple low effort thing, right? There's also studies showing that if you, and, and I should also mention that's near the cutoff for diabetes, the cutoff for diabetes say, is 6.5.
1: I was gonna say, I, I, well, I, I think it's 6.2, but that's yeah. just me. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, 6.5. <you're>, <laughs> yeah. So um, it,
0: it's almost taking diabetics and putting them into the pre-diabetic range just from this one little strategy. One other thing in that same vein is protein eat the protein first in your meal. First of all, most people don't eat enough protein. That's a major factor in body composition, both building muscle and contributing to fat loss. Super, super important to eat enough protein. But also again, like with the non-starchy vegetables, eating the protein first in the meal or eating in this way, you can eat the protein and the non-starchy vegetables first in the meal makes a huge difference in terms of post-meal blood sugar regulation. Again, just an, you're not even changing what you're eating. It's literally just changing the order in which you eat it. It makes a huge difference. Another super simple thing is to use acetic acid, to use vinegar, or to use lemon juice also works. So you can squeeze a lemon in a glass of water before your meal. You can put vinegar all over those non-starchy vegetables that you're eating first in your meal. It makes a big difference in terms of blood sugar regulation. Or to integrate supplements into this, now you can start using things like cinnamon. Cinnamon has been shown in numerous studies to be as effective as metformin in managing blood sugar levels. Same with berberine, another compound as effective as metformin in managing blood sugar levels. You can integrate chromium. You can integrate alpha-lipoic acid. And again, all of those things I just mentioned take virtually zero effort to do. And if you integrate all of those, whatever, four or five super low effort things that I just mentioned into your life, you haven't even changed your diet at all yet, no, and yet, yet you've made a massive impact on your blood sugar regulation, which is one of the major drivers of your energy levels.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and you know we we've dove so deep into this on on the show because I've you know I know so many women are struggling with insulin resistance, and then also the fatigue, and then the other thing I think that people take for granted. I, I say it's the most underrated thing that you can do for blood sugar is walking thirty minutes after dinner.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Walking 30 minutes after dinner. That's all I gotta do. I mean, yes, eat the protein first and you can even prime the pump with protein. You can eat protein 15 minutes before dinner and prime that up. And so, but yeah, we haven't even talked about changing food yet, right? Yeah, exactly. Dessert is still on the table right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yep. um, white rice is still on the table at the moment, yep. you know, just implementing these supplements, you know, and again, taking the berberine 30 to 45 minutes before a meal, making sure that you're, you're adding that vinegar, or that lemon juice on the, on the salad to take like your pregame salad before dinner, those are going to completely blunt a blood sugar response or blood sugar spike. But let's talk about, I do want to put food on the table. I do <laughs> want to talk about the kind of food that we should be thinking about for boosting energy. Cause I, you know, when I, when I saw the title of the book, when I, when I heard what the book was about, I was super excited because uh, I don't think people think a lot about leveraging food to use energy. Clearly food is fuel it's mm-hmm. information it's it's so much of how our bodies function but i think of all the conversations we've had around circadian rhythm supplementation um hormesis you know that's kind of those have been the things that we you've really at least we've had conversations around moving the needle but i would love to know what foods are on the table and i know this isn't this is there's no hype diet here there's no magic pill here unless you want to call chromium cinnamon and berberine magic pills what what are the foods that you have found, the life-giving foods, the mitochondrial-giving foods that can help move the needle for people after they implement the hacks to blunt their blood sugar response.
0: Yeah. Several years ago, one of my favorite nutrition researchers, he's the former head of Yale's Prevention Research Center, Dr. David Katz, and his author of the main clinical nutrition textbook used to educate doctors on nutrition. He wrote a paper called, Can We Say What Diet is Best for Health? And they, they looked at all the different dietary patterns out there, paleo and low-fat and low-carb and keto and Mediterranean and whatever else, dash diet and so on. And basically, their conclusion was there is inadequate evidence to say any one of these is superior to the other. And the conclusions that we can draw from the body of nutrition science is, number one, whole foods. Eat whole foods, get rid of processed foods. That is by far the most important rule of nutrition. So much focus is put on, you know, macronutrients and eat this proportion of, you know, of carbs to fats and da-da-da-da-da. People have been obsessed with carbs and fats for decades and trying to make various claims around that. The the truth is that the research doesn't support that there's much to that. I will say at least, at the very least, it's been greatly overstated how important that is, particularly when we're talking about unrefined whole foods. There isn't a strong case that eating olive oil is better than blueberries or that eating coconut oil is superior to sweet potatoes or something like that. Like you, you just you can't make those kinds of claims. If anything, I'd argue that there's much stronger, um, you know, health benefits associated with with uh, sweet potatoes, for example.
1: You know, they spike me like nobody's business. We oh, really? can talk about that on the show. <laughs> it's like yeah, the I one mean- superfood. I'm like, really. Really, yeah. you gotta you gotta spike to 150 milligrams <laughs> per deciliter every time I eat you, even when I eat protein and fiber
0: first. <laughs> All right, well switch switch out the switch out the carrots. Uh, switch out the sweet potatoes for carrots or beets yes. or something. There you go. Um, so the same principle of what I just said still applies. but yes. the second principle was animal food, so mostly plants,
1: mostly plants
0: mostly plants. Okay. Meaning, and that doesn't necessarily mean there's multiple interpretations of this doesn't necessarily mean by calories. It could be based on the volume of food that's on your plate. Mm -hmm. Okay. It should be comprised of mostly plant foods, unprocessed whole plant foods. And the last one is the animal foods that you do eat should be from, natural sources, you know, basically they say something cute, like, you know, we are what we eat. And so animals are what they eat. And so they should be eating a diet that's aligned with their evolution. And, and uh, in other words, don't factory farm your animal food, get it naturally raised and as close to nature as possible, because eating grass fed pasture raised beef and, and poultry is vastly different than eating factory farmed versions of those same foods. Those three principles basically define what to eat. That's, those are the three foundational rules that I completely agree with and everything else really is debatable. <laughs> like whether do you want to eat uh, wheat and, and oats and, um, you know, quinoa in your diet? No, 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 no. I'm, I hate grains. Do you want to eat lentils? No, I'm afraid of lectins from the lentils and the beans. I I, I don't want to eat those. Do you want to eat tomatoes? No, I'm afraid of nightshades, right? Nightshades, or I, you know, what, yeah. whatever else. And some people do maybe react to some of those foods. There's individual variation. There's room for interpretation. I definitely disagree with anybody who's demonizing those kinds of foods uh, in any sort of universal way. But beyond those three rules, there's lots of room for experimenting with different carbon fat ratios, higher, low protein intake. I'm a big advocate of higher protein intake in the book. I'm much more flexible on carbon fat ratios. You can, you can do more what you want with those carbon fat ratios, provided you're adhering to um, those foundational rules of whole food, unprocessed food and making good food choices, right? Like lentils and carrots and beets are great carb sources.
1: Broccoli is too, squashes are great.
0: Yeah, carb cookies and, and pastries, not so much. Not right? so much,
1: those aren't on yeah. the, those aren't on the <laughs> list.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, there's, yeah, there's a whole chapter on superfoods as well. In the book, I'm not really recommending anybody goes on any extreme diet. I'm putting much more focus much less focus on like eliminate this and get rid of that. These are bad foods. These are bad foods because that's been done to death. And the truth is, people know that donuts and ice cream and pizza are not good for them. There's no confusion about that. The issue is, those foods are tasty and pleasurable and addicting. And so I'm putting much more focus on the best foods to eat and the principles of how to eat and when to eat. And the order of how you eat your foods, like the couple strategies that I mentioned here, and things of that nature. So much more of a positive focus on what you're adding into your diet than on any sort of extreme remove this, remove these bad foods sort of approach.
1: And I think that is so I just love that that's exactly what you're doing. I think we're addressing the big elephant in the room, which is the hyperinsulinemia, the insulin resistance, the excess. Fat that we're holding onto in our organs; these are the issues, mm-hmm. and eating foods to reverse those issues, or how how we're going to create longevity and mitochondrial health. And I think mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're pinning here. I know you had a hard stop a couple of minutes ago, so <laughs> we're, I'm going to go and shout this book from the rooftops. I can't wait to get a copy of it, and I am so so grateful to you for digging deep into this research and and we're so in need of this book around the world, um, and especially. Especially here in the U S as adults. Um, so I just want to say Ari, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your brilliance and congratulations on this groundbreaking book that really gets to the core root of what so many of us are dealing with.
0: Thank you so much, my friend. And on a personal note, uh, I know you mentioned that your new house is in Lucadia. I'm excited to hear that because we're going to be staying in Lucadia starting next month for three months. So we're going to do lots of beach walks and dinners together and stuff like that. Yes, go, to, yes. go, go to lunch at Good yes. Anya and grab some coffee or mm-hmm. Nectarine Grove. I love Nectarine
1: Grove. Yeah, we are. Oh, eight and, minutes, um, we're an eight-minute walk from Nectarine Grove.
0: Nice. And Hagos? I don't know if you've been to Hagos. Yes.
1: We are oh. a one-minute walk from Hagos. Nice. Yeah, that's Epic. where we live.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll see you there. I'll be just down the street from you.
1: Perfect. So it's pretty obvious that Ari and I share the same philosophy on how to boost mitochondrial energy production in the body, which is how we create energy in the body. I know we went over that, I know you know it. And we both agree that we need to look at energy production in a new light if we are gonna get our energy back in a sustainable way. Supplementation, resetting circadian rhythms, focusing on creating mitochondrial energy and metabolic flexibility, all our topics that I dive super deep into here on the Essentially You podcast. I know that Ari and I touched upon a lot of these today, and you're going to find a lot of his recommendations inside of his book, which I highly recommend you get. I know I talk to a lot of authors on the show because I think authors, especially, you know, the amazing health authors out there are just bringing such cutting edge information and research. But I know for a fact that Ari's new book is going to be groundbreaking when it comes to creating habits for getting your energy to the next level. I am so stoked to read this book myself because I'm always looking for ways to up-level my energy so that I can continue to show up just playing at the level that I wanna play at, right? So I know he has left no stone left unturned, go and grab the book. And if you want to dive into even deeper discussions on the areas that we talked about today, check out other episodes on the Essentially You podcast, because I have a feeling that we have covered them in great, great depth. So I will have the link for the book, Eat for Energy. You can also get it at any book retailer. It's available right now. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening to the Essentially You podcast today. As you know, this show is all about helping you rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. That means boosting that energy levels. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear this today, who is feeling depleted, who's feeling drained, who is thinking to themselves like this is just the status quo for me. Please take a moment, screenshot it, text it to them, send them a link, you know, take them to drmarisa.com slash podcast where they can easily listen to it. That way we continue to spread the word about hormone literacy. And if you do share it on social, hashtag hormone CEO. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.